we have not stopped teaching. Um, in fact, I, along with a lot of other people, are working even harder now to build those relationships, to plan those lessons, because this is completely different for us. Um, unless you were someone who taught virtually or um, taught distance education from the beginning, this was all brand new. That's Stephen Gupton. He's a teacher in Durham County and our guest for the third episode of Future Forward. I'm Ali Lindenberg. Thanks for listening. In this series, we're sharing the stories of teachers across the state and the lessons they learned teaching through a pandemic. From the flexibility of hybrid classes to the impact of personalized learning, Future Forward features reflections on the changes made during the last school year and recommendations for what we take into the year ahead. Let's jump right in. So this year for me has been, um, it's been challenging, I think. Um, I think a lot of teachers will say the same thing, but it's also been an experience for me to grow. Um, I think it has allowed me to, um, this may sound crazy being virtual, but to be able to work with some students one-on-one -on -one a little bit more, to meet with some parents one-on-one -on -one a little bit more because I have office hours. Um, those office hours are no longer ending at 3.30 like they would in a traditional setting where I was leaving to go coach track or at 3.30 I was leaving to go home and parents didn't get off work until 7 or 8, right? So while I try to have boundaries, um, I also understand that there are some parents out there like mine I'm a single mom who didn't get off work until 6.30, sometimes 7 o'clock at night. And the last thing she wanted to do at 8 was talk to the teacher. Um, no offense. But, you know, at the same time, those are the only time she had. Um, so if I have a parent who needs to meet with me at 7.30 or 8, I don't mind jumping on 15 minutes. Now, I'm not doing that every single day, but I don't mind doing that, you know, here and there for those particular parents who absolutely need it. So one of the things that's worked for me is just being able to learn my students in Durham families, the community, and figuring out what they actually need and seeing what I can do to meet those particular needs. It sounds like you're putting in that extra effort to get to know this community that is that has welcomed you. And I feel like so many teachers had to go that that extra mile this year of figuring out how to connect with students because it was just completely different than before. No, absolutely. So like you said, um, the district I taught in before, I grew up there. I graduated from high school there. So I was going back home, um, if you will, to teach. So I knew everybody. And I also served as a paramedic in that community, right? So um, my students, I served their grandparents, maybe, from um, any type of sickness or injury or illness, and maybe their moms and dads. And I taught them and I coached them. So I saw them around. I knew who they were. They knew who I was. They were running away from me in the store because they didn't want me to talk to parents, right? But um, here, coming to, coming to Durham, to the Bull City, I didn't know a lot of people. Um, I knew a few teachers, I knew a few administrators, but I didn't know my students, I didn't know their families. Um, but home visits, um, email, um, phone calls, it's helped a whole lot this year, a whole lot, and particularly the home visits. What do you think you've learned this year about yourself as a teacher, about education? What have you learned? Um, that we're not always going to get it right. Um, you know, I'm a perfectionist, so I want everything to be absolutely right. I want it to be perfect. Um, when other people look into my classroom, when they come visit my classroom, I want everything to be perfect, and it's not going to happen. Um, it wasn't perfect in a traditional setting, and it's not going to be perfect in a, in a virtual setting. But one of the things I have learned 
is that people truly believe that teachers stopped teaching last March. And that is the biggest myth um, that anybody has ever been able to say um, about teachers at this point. We have not stopped teaching. Um, in fact, I, along with a lot of other people, are working even harder now to build those relationships, to plan those lessons, because this is completely different for us. Um, unless you were someone who taught virtually or um, taught distance education from the beginning, this was all brand new to a lot of us. What do you think in terms of changes in education from, you know, virtual learning, personalized learning, what do you think has worked well and what do you think has not worked well? Things that have worked really well is the flexibility and the autonomy for students. Um, because I'm always going to go back to students first, right? This is not about me. Um, you know, I'm resilient. We can, we can work through this. We're, we're paid to get through these things. Um, and even if we're not paid to get through these things, we're professionals and we know how to adapt. My students, I think, it's been wonderful for some of them. Um, and I would say the majority of them, the ones I've surveyed, uh, 100%, um, looking at the responses, a lot of them don't necessarily want to come back to school. And that's my high school students and some of my middle school students. They're thriving at home. So particularly those students from marginalized communities or those students who um, are always being referred to administration, always receiving discipline referrals, different things like that. Some of these students are thriving at home. They're not in a classroom competing with those that have been identified as gifted and talented. All of them are gifted and talented now because they're in their own classroom. Right? Um, they are in this virtual setting, but their, their home is their classroom and we're able to personalize learning a little bit better with these students and differentiate, differentiate instruction for them it's just watching them thrive in this environment that other people said they wouldn't has been pretty amazing for me. Hearing them say, this works better for me than being in the classroom um, has been something I've really kept in the back of my mind as we move forward. And I really want to see them back in the classroom, but I understand if they don't and they, they want to stay virtual. So I think what we're still having issues with and was what has not worked um, well so far, you know, we still have a big digital divide. Um, maybe not necessarily in Durham and maybe not necessarily in bigger school districts, but you know, where I live, I still live in a rural district. Um, there's still a big digital divide. And some students still don't have access to Wi-Fi. Some students still may not have their own laptop, though they may have a district issued one. But um, you know, we have buses sitting in certain spots for students. You have certain restaurants who have jumped on board and say, we will provide this for those students. But you know, that's it's inequitable, right? Um, a student has to leave home to sit in a restaurant or a student has to leave home to sit beside a school bus in an old churchyard to um, even be able to attend class. So the digital divide has been one of the things that has really um, created a barrier for some students. And then the relationship piece. Sometimes, though I think I have done a really good job, um, it's still hard to build those strong, genuine relationships with a student who comes great. That has been really difficult for us. Um, and one of the other things that I would throw in here is that um, going to a hybrid model, but um, it's been pretty challenging for some districts. And some teachers are saying how difficult it can be to teach um, synchronous, synchronously. And um, you have students who are, you have students who are online, you have students who are in your classroom. And again, it always goes back to the students for me. So whatever is best for them, if they feel like staying home and remaining virtual is great. Um, if they feel like they want to come back in school to be with me and the rest of their teachers, then I'm also for that as well. What do you think the pandemic 
revealed about our education system? On a larger scale, I think it has really shown us that a lot of people really don't listen to the folks with the boots on the ground. Um, you know, we talk about the inequalities, we talk about inequities, um, you know, uh, with th this particular group of students um, are really falling behind, or this particular group of students are really having mental health issues, this particular group. We have been saying this from the beginning. Um, this is not new, just because we went to a virtual environment. Um, this is not new. In the traditional setting, we were saying these things. We were asking for funding in the traditional setting. We were saying we need social workers and um, counselors in the traditional setting. And now all of a sudden, oh, well, we have to do this because of this. This isn't new. So it's kind of like a slap in the face, right? It's almost like um, we've we've done this, this group project, right? We're all in this group project and um, we've all submitted what we need to submit. And one person goes up and says, hey, this is what I've done. I feel like that's what the legislators are doing right now. Um, this isn't new. This is not new. That's all I can say. We've been talking about these things for years and years and years. And now all of a sudden, because it affects your child that's home, now it's a problem. Um, it's been a problem for a lot of children, particularly children who look like me and who come from communities like mine for a very long time. So that to me um, has been one of the biggest things I wish they would have taken a look at a long time ago. Um, but that's, that's been a problem huge problem. Okay, so now that you have kind of the ear of people, people are listening in a way they weren't before. What, what do you think needs to happen for like a reimagined education system, right? So like moving forward, what, what changes need to be made? So, you know, um, I don't have all the answers to that. So I always want to go back to um, involved in everybody, right? So um, whenever you, I have been taught, whenever you um, are put in a position where you have the ear of dignitaries, you have the ear of some, quote, important people, um, you bring other people with you, right? You, you allow other people to use their voice and you allow those voices as well, because I'm not the only voice at the table. I'm there to represent teachers and students and families throughout the state, right? So what I think needs to happen is that we listen to parents, and we hear their concerns. We listen to students. We hear their concerns. Um, we listen to teachers. We listen to administrators. And we also listen to superintendents because they are the folks with them, boots on the ground, and they and we are the stakeholders, right? So if if we're in a room and we're having this conversation um, virtually now, um, then we can come up with the plan. But what we don't need is for people um, in Raleigh to tell us what works for us when they're not in the trenches. Um, that's the biggest thing, and I will say that. Um, time and time again, and I won't back off of that. Um, we don't need people there telling us what we need to do um, when they haven't been in the classroom in the last 15, 20 years or haven't been in a classroom at all. Um, but, you know, you're able to make a law or put, um, you know, you want th this bill sounds really, really good um, and it looks good on paper, but we know for that it's not actually um, appropriate and it's not going to work in a classroom. So I think the big thing is to make sure that you have the stakeholders involved that being teachers, students, families, um, the communities, and your school systems. A change to how we listen. The concerns that I have may not be the concerns that other teachers have. So I never like to say, oh, I think this is what's going to work. I don't think this is going to work. Um, and the concerns that I have for, um, <clears throat> for some of my students may not be the same concerns that some families have for their students. Um, so I think, and one of the biggest things we have to do 
is we have to listen to parents a lot more than what we do now. Um, we're teachers, and I tell, I say this all the time, I'm here to teach your child. I'm here to, to build relationships with your child, but I can't tell you what's best um, for your child. I don't know what's best at home. I don't know what's best um, for your family, but I'm here to help you get there. But I think we, um, we need to listen to parents a lot more. They, they know what's best for that child, and we have to listen. And if they don't know um, what's best for them in a school setting, then we have failed um, in advocating for those students and those parents. When you think about the immediate year ahead, what do you want to take from this year into the year ahead? Like specifically, like, is it personalized learning? Is it, is it a hybrid model? Is it not a hybrid model? Like, can you name any specific things, even if it's just like the way you're building relationships with students that you want to take into like this next year of education? Yeah, so I think two things. I want to um, ensure that I am continuing to build intentional relationships with students. Um, home visits have been a hit. Um, you know, I, I straight up, I didn't do that in a traditional setting um, unless it came down to a child maybe not being in school for a very, very long time or we heard about a death in their family, different things like that, wanted to know that we were supporting them. Um, but this year, I kind of like didn't have a choice, right? If kids didn't log on for a couple of days or, you know, sometimes several weeks at a time, what's going on? Like, I need to go see what's going on. Let me see how I can support them. And most of the time, it was issues with internet, issues with Wi-Fi. Um, they were in between homes because they couldn't be home by themselves because parents were working, so they were with grandparents, or they had multiple siblings they had to watch um, to make sure that their K-5 siblings were logged in the class. So, you know, I'm having trouble getting in the class myself because we're also sharing devices. The second part is allowing the students and the parents to have the option to come back in a traditional setting or remain virtual. Because once again, we cannot continue this narrative that um, students are not providing in a virtual environment. That is absolutely false. Uh, maybe your child isn't, maybe my child isn't, but somebody's child is. So, and other kids do not necessarily want to come back into the building, so I think we need to offer those options. So for me, continuing to build those strong life, um, long relationships and providing those families and those students with the options that we have at this point. Well, thank you for answering all of those questions and for always being willing to, to, to lend me your insight and your knowledge. Thank you for listening to this episode of Future Forward. To follow the rest of this series, make sure to visit ednc.org or find us on Twitter at EducationNC. This podcast is a production of Education NC. It is produced and edited by me, Allie Lindenberg. Our supervising producer is Molly Osborne. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here soon for more conversations with teachers across North Carolina.